Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. So uh, we have entered a new series this year, and it takes our, and it takes, uh, it's, it's a theme that we're going to take throughout the entire year. It's scriptural, spiritual awakening. Scriptural just meaning the word, the scriptures, and spiritual, the Holy Spirit, and then awakening. And God wants to bring awakening to your life this year, 2018, but he wants to do that in community, in our church, for our city. So we're in the book of Daniel, and we've been talking about how that works out in different places. Last week we talked about your place of influence, your job, your work, your, your just wherever God has given you influence, your school, your spheres of influence there. Uh, and then the first week we talked more about just generally what awakening is. And today we're going to talk more about risks of faith and what that means for us in terms of awakening. So this week... Um, well, let me, let me start by saying this. We're, we don't have a pet. We'll, we'll probably never have a pet in our home. We've told our girls that. I have a seven-year-old and a six-year-old, and we told them, we're probably never going to own a pet, guys. Uh, <laughs> someone say preach. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and, here's why, and it's not that I don't like pets. Those of you guys who like, have dogs and cats and stuff, don't, don't get angry. Um, we like animals. Uh, I just don't want one. Okay? I, I had pets growing up. We had a dog. We had uh, fish, guinea pig, rabbit. We had a cat. We had like everything. We probably, but we didn't have a bird. But we had like every other thing. So I've been around pets, all that stuff. But here's the thing. Having a dog is like having a perpetual two-year-old. You gotta change the stepper, you gotta pick up its poo, you gotta feed it, you gotta have someone. Well, our two year olds, we don't really have someone watch them when we go out of town. But with pets, you do. Like, dodge, you find someone to watch them, all this stuff. And our lives, I'm just like, I don't want a pet to unnecessarily complicate our lives uh, in that way. We travel a lot, we're not home a lot, uh, all those things. So, we're all that to say, and then on top of that, our girls, if you've been around our girls and pets and animals, you know that they love animals, but they're a little scared of animals. Like, they're a little skittish around them. So, all that to say, this past week, we are dog suiting. Uh, so, we got a dog, Lucas is out of town, and we're watching his dog for about a week and a couple of days. And we've never had a dog in the home before, but this dog is like in our home living with us. And it's just a little thing. Her name is Lucy. She's a Shih Tzu. She's about that big. And she loves me. Like, I don't know what it is. But she. I mean, I can guess at what it is. There's a couple really good reasons. No. She, she follows me everywhere. She, she just really loves me. And now I'm like, let's get a dog. <laughs> I have said that a couple of times, but I don't mean it. Um, I'm like, girls, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't get excited. Uh, but she's, uh, she's, she's awesome. 
So, but before we got there, I was taking the girls to school one morning, and I was telling them, hey, Luke's is gonna drop Lucy off today. Uh, we're really excited. Uh, are you guys really excited? They're like, yeah, we, we love her. She's, she's awesome. And I said, well, Lucas says that, she, that Lucy normally sleeps in his room at night. So whose room is she gonna sleep in? And immediately Emerson's like, not mine. <laughs> she is not sleeping in my room. And I'm like, okay, well, why not? And she's like, she's, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was something about scratching and biting her in the middle of the night. And I'm like, she's gonna be sleeping when you're sleeping. Like, you don't. Anyway, so I asked Raven, I'm like, hey, what, is it okay if Lucy sleeps in your room? And, and she thinks about it for, for a couple seconds. She's like, yeah. And, and she said, and I, and I asked her why, and she said, well, so I can have a companion with me when I get scared at night. Aww. Yeah, and I was like, oh, how sweet. Um, and this morning, we're talking about risks of faith. And what's funny is immediately Emerson was like, yeah, okay, she can sleep with me. She's like, that's a good idea. I want someone with me when I get scared. And this morning we're talking about risks of faith, and here's the thing with risks of faith. They're a lot easier to take when you're in a group. They're a lot easier to take when you have a companion, right? And, and Reagan knew if she had a companion, she would she'd be able to, it, it would just make things better. It would make things okay. She'd be able to, she'd be able to handle things more easily. And, and just think about it in your life. I have a brother-in-law, he went skydiving. This guy is deathly afraid of heights, but he went skydiving because his group of friends said, let's go skydiving. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, I've, I've eaten stuff personally that I would never put in my mouth. I would never eat because a group of friends said, hey, this is a great idea, let's do this together. Let's, let's eat grasshoppers. Um, and we're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. But I would never do that by myself. And following Jesus requires risks of faith. It requires you to step out in faith when you don't know what's going to happen, when it's uncomfortable, when it's awkward, when, when it might all go very poorly. But guess what? Following Jesus means that you're doing it in community. Following Jesus means that you get to do it with other people. In Jesus, you've already entered into an eternally existing community in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the eternal purpose of God, that he's put us in this community and wants us to experience this eternally existing divine community. So we have that, and you're like, yeah, what good is that going to do me here? Well, guess what? You do have that, but you also, that's manifested in this, that's manifested in the church. That's us. We get to do this stuff together. And, and that should give us courage. It should give us, it should propel us forward. But if you look at the church today, a lot of us are just stagnant and we're stuck. And this morning, I want us to look at this passage and see how risks of faith actually propel us forward and how we can do that as a church this year in 2018. So this is 49 verses. 49. And we're going to go through all. Let's go. We're going to go fast. Hopefully. Um, so let's start, let's start in verse 1. I'm not going to read them all. Um, we'll get to... We'll get to the passage that Elizabeth read, which is right in the middle of the, of, the, uh, of the entire passage. And it's kind of the crux, the theological crux of the passage. So we'll get to that. I'm going to give you the beginning of the story first. We'll get to that middle part, and then I'll give you the, give you the end. But the passage she read can get you a teaser of what's about to happen. So let's go back to the beginning. It says, in the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, 
This is the king of Babylon at the time. Remember, uh, Judah, the people of God, are in exile. Babylon, this nation, has come in, and they've taken over uh, the tribe of Judah. The people of Israel are scattered. There's one tribe that remains, the tribe of Judah. They've taken over them, and they are exiles. They're slaves in another land. Daniel is one of these guys. He's a slave in this land. And the king is a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, and it says his spirit was troubled. He had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. He's, he's experiencing something that a lot of us experience. Sleeplessness, anxiety, worry, stress, pressure. He's experiencing that as, as a king for some reason. And, and let's look at where he turns in verse 2. He turns to the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were basically a group of diviners. So all these kind of magic type people. And he summons them to tell the king his dreams. Okay? Now that's the, that may seem foreign to us, but think about where you turn when you're troubled. Where do you turn? Now, this group here, like I said, it may seem foreign to us, just like magicians. I mean, not many of us are probably turning to David Blaine. <laughs> like, hey, David Blaine, uh, Chris Angel, like through my, my issues. Um, enchanters, sorcerers. Is Chris Angel still around? Like, he's, <laughs> he's still around, right? I don't, I don't know. Um, and, and, and these diviners. But Missy and I, we live in uh, the Jewish neighborhood in, in Toronto at uh, Eglinton and Bathurst. And in our neighborhood, a, this is mainly Jewish neighborhood, at our little post office in our neighborhood, the sign, was, it has a runner, and it says like, stamps, postcards, packaging materials, passport photos, palm reading, spiritual healing rocks. <laughs> and you're like, well, I can get my stamps and my spiritual healing rocks in one place. And then this is in, this is in our neighborhood, a, a largely Jewish neighborhood, and so our city is still turning to these things. We still turn to magician, magicians and sorcerers and enchanters. Now, a lot of it is veiled for us. And you're like, well, it's still foreign to me, but think about what we turn to. And I'm not saying they're all like this, but because uh, there is truth in, in some of these areas. But we turn to, so again, just be clear, I'm not equating what I'm about to say with magicians, sorcerers, and, and enchanters, but I'm just saying where we turn. We turn to psychologists, we turn to talk show hosts, we turn to talk radio, we turn to self-help self -help books, we turn to um, spiritual gurus, we turn to uh, our peers who, how are they going to help you? That's like the blind thing in the blind. Um, you know, we're, we turn to all, all different areas except to Jesus a lot of times, except to the Word. And we turn to, to things that we think have wisdom. Remember, these are the wise things of that age, the wise men, the wise people of that age. And we just turn to what's wise in our age, the philosophers, etc., 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 professors, teachers, we can go on and on. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar does. So he kind of gathers all the wise people, and, and they come and stand before him. And he, in verses 3 to 6, he tells, he gives them, he, he asks something big of them. He says, tell me two things. Tell me my dreams and give me the interpretation. I want you to tell me. He's not going to tell them the dream. He says, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. And they're like, 
what? We can't, we can't do that. Now, why would he do that? Well, he doesn't trust them. He wants to make sure they give him the right interpretation, and he knows it would be the right interpretation if they tell, them, they tell him what the dream is. So he asks them to tell him the dream. And, and he says, if you, do, if you don't do this, I'm going to tear you limb from limb, you're going to die a gruesome death, and I'm going to destroy everything you love and everything you have. That's one option. But if you do, I'm going I'm to give you guys a lot of good gifts <laughs> and rewards and great honor. And then he's like, all right, go. Tell me the dream. Therefore, tell it to me. And then they, so they kind of, you, in, in the story here, so this is how the Bible is written. The Bible, when it's in narrative, it only gives you what you need to know for the meaning of the story. It doesn't give you all the background. So in between verse 6 and 7, uh, it says that, we don't know what happens in between verse 6 and 7, but in verse 7 it says that they respond. But probably between verse 6 and 7, if you think about the story, they're kind of convening over here, the magicians, the, swords, the, swords, the wise men. They're convening, they're saying, okay, what should we do? Should we? So they come back to the king, and they say a second time, uh, okay, why don't you tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he says no. He, he's like, no, my, my word is firm on this. This is how it's going to be. You need to tell me both of them, or you're going to die. Uh, so then verse 10, the Cal- going all the way down to verse 10, the Chaldeans answered and said to the king, Nobody can do this. There's not a person on earth who can do this, king. They can't tell you your dream and your interpretation. And he says in verse 11, where they say in verse 11, The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. And there we see the Babylonian picture of God, of, of the gods. And what we have here, what we'll have here going throughout this, this, uh, the rest of this narrative, is one view of God pitted against another view of God. We'll have the Babylonian view of the gods and Daniel's view of who the true God is. And this is not just a battle like ages ago. This is actually what, what is going on in our city right now, today. We have people have their, their one concept of, of who God is. They have their concept of who uh, Jesus is. People, a lot of you guys uh, are probably who are not familiar with Christianity. Maybe this is your first time here this morning. You came in with, with presupposition. We all have that. And you came in maybe thinking, oh, well, I know what this is about. I, this is my view of God. And all of us have this. We all came to the scriptures with us. And we all need to recognize what those presuppositions are. Because somewhere along the line, we learn something from our parents, we learn something from our culture, we learn something from school, we learn something from friends. And that all has come into our view of who God is. I'm going to try to deconstruct that for all of us this morning. So, because that's what's happening in this passage, and we see that the Babylonian view of God is one in which God, the gods, can be manipulated. It's, it's, it's one in which the gods are transcendent and above and not personal and intimate and involved. They say, they say only the gods can do this, and they're not coming down. They're not down here. They do not involve themselves in our affairs, is what they're saying. And, and Daniel, and like, the sto- where is Daniel, by the way? Like, where are his friends? We, we just heard in the last chapter that they're the best of the best of the wise men. 
that they're, they're gonna be, that's their story, right? That, that's projected on their, this narrative. But they're not in this picture yet. They're just, we don't know where they are. So the whole narrative is kind of climaxing and building up to Daniel kind of making his appearance. So we're waiting for that right now. And, and we have here, like I said, this Babylonian view of God that is, that is not involved, that is distant, that is transcendent. And, it's, and, and they're saying, Nebuchadnezzar to the king, they're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, they can't help us. Only they can do it, and they're not doing it. We've tried everything we can. We're magicians, we're sorcerers. We've tried to manipulate the gods. It's a view of manipulation. And they're not answering us. So we, we can't do anything about it. So then going into the next verse here, verse 12, guess what happens? The king becomes angry and very furious. So it's like anger on top of anger. And he commands that they all be destroyed, all the wise men and all of Babylon. He says, gather them all up and let's do what I said we're going to do. Tear them limb for limb, destroy their homes, their families, everything. I want them to be destroyed. So a decree goes out. And now we see Daniel enter in. So they, they seek Daniel and his companions. Right? This is, this is a key word for us this morning, companions. It's, it's Reagan saying, oh, Lucy's going to be my companion while I'm here. So they seek Daniel and his companions to kill them. And then in verse 14, Daniel says, hey, to the, to the captain of the king's guard, Ariok, what's, what's going on? And, or verse 15, he says that. And then Ariok tells him what's going on. And Daniel says this. He goes in and he requests the king appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, Daniel does not know the dream or the interpretation, but he takes the risk of faith. He takes the risk of faith and he says to Ariok, go tell the king to give me a time and I will tell him the dream and the interpretation. He doesn't yet know it. That's a huge risk. Now think about Daniel though. He is, what did he have to lose? Right? He's about to be killed for not knowing the dream or the interpretation. So what does he have to lose? In the risk of faith, he's just like, hey, I'm going to die either way. If I don't get the dream and interpretation when I'm standing before King Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to kill me anyway. I could die then or I could die now. So he takes the risk of faith and he trusts God without already having a solution, he trusts God, and he says, I will have something for the king. But he doesn't yet have it. For, for a lot of us, risks of faith are difficult because we feel like we have something to lose. Like I said, Daniel's in this situation, and he feels like he has nothing to lose, probably. He's going to die either way. But for those of us who don't take risks of faith, it's because we feel like we're going to lose something. And I want to challenge your view of God this morning. Because you may feel like you have something to lose because you don't actually know God's goodness. And you're not taking a risk of faith because you're like, you're, you're pursuing something else. And you're, you're saying, oh, if I take this, then... then Man, what about that salary that I want? What about that job that I want? What about that, uh, that house that I want? What about 
blah, 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 we can list all these things, that life that I want. Or maybe you already have those things, and you're like, if I take a risk of faith, I might lose those things. I might lose relationship. I might lose uh, material things, whatever it is. I might lose this job. I might lose my opportunity to move up in the corporate world, whatever it is. And you're not taking risk of faith because you're scared to lose something. But following Jesus means that, you, that you're open-handed with all those things. Because here's the thing. Your view of God, if you're scared to lose those things, you're probably scared, and, and I don't know how you would word this in your mind, but you're probably scared that God's going to take something away from you. And that's just the wrong view of God. That he's going to take something away from you that is good for you. And you need to start to line up your view of God's goodness, or, or your view of what's good, with God's view of what's good. And we're scared to lose things when we take risks of faith because we're so focused on God's provision and not God's providence. Daniel here is focused on God's providence, that God is orchestrating things for, uh, for awakening in this nation, for something amazing to happen. For, for his goodness. He's not worried about what he's going to get. We're too worried about God's provision for us that we forget that God is trying to provide something for the world. And we're like, what about me, God? And so we don't take risks of faith because we're, we're afraid of losing something for me. We're afraid of losing something that you have. But if Jesus came to give you the abundant life, then following Jesus is always going to lead to the abundant life. It cannot get worse. And for many of you, you think following Jesus is going to make your life worse. But if Jesus came to give the abundant life, then it's only going to get better. And it may mean that job that you want is not the job for you. And you don't get it. And that's okay, because you're following Jesus. It may mean that you have to leave your family and you don't live by your family. And that's okay, God's gonna provide. He did for us. It may mean that you have to quit your job and you have to ask people for money. We did it. <laughs> it may mean something crazy, and that's the best thing. It often looks foolish and crazy to everybody else. Taking a risk of faith often looks foolish. But it's complete and utter dependence on who God is and on, and, on, and on knowing who He is. And that's the thing. A lot of us have this wrong view of God. You think you, think you can manipulate God. Uh, so you're, you, you're asking different things. You're trying to be a better person. You're like, maybe if I go to church a couple times, God's going to give me what I want. God does not work that way. And in turn, you think God manipulates you. That he's, he's, he's just there like a puppet master taking things from you and giving things to you. And, and God doesn't work that way either. He can't be manipulated and he's not manipulating us. He just asks that you love him and that you pursue him. And he wants to give you the abundant life. You know, um, well, I'll go there in a second. So let's, let's go back to the passage. It says here that I don't remember where I was. Okay, so going, now going to verse 17. So Daniel here, this isn't a very easy time. Death is right around the corner. And look what he does. He goes to communion. 
And this is the bottom line for today. That when taking risks of faith happens with the community of faith, we'll experience an awakening of faith. When taking risks of faith happens with the community of faith, we will experience an awakening of faith. And here we see Daniel, he doesn't retreat from community, he seeks it out. In verse 17, he goes to his house, he, he goes to his friends, his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and they seek God together. And they ask for mercy from God. And God reveals, in verse 19, the mystery to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then he blesses God. And this is what Elizabeth read earlier. This is Daniel's blessing to God. His prayer to God. And this tells us who God is. So I'm just going to point out a few things in here. It says, God is forever and ever. He's always existed and he will always exist. Uh, wisdom and might belong to him. He can do it. Daniel believes he can do it. And he has the wisdom to do it. He's providentially changes the times and seasons. He moves kings, sets up, sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So, he's saying, they're already wise, they're already understanding. And God is just so generous in giving it more and more and more. And he reveals deep in him the things. He's personal, he's intimate, he is involved. This is not the Babylonian view of God. This is, this is a distinct view of who God is. And then he gives praise to him and he praises him for all those things. And then it says, Daniel goes into Ariok and says... Uh, bring me before the king. So he does. Ariok brings, verse 25, Ariok brings Daniel in before the king quickly in haste. And he says, I found this guy. Daniel declares, uh, or the king says, Daniel, are you able to do this? And Daniel says, and look at what Daniel does. He takes an opportunity not to elevate his own stature. He takes an opportunity and taking, he's taking another risk of faith here. He takes an opportunity not to, um, not to say, oh, I got this, I did this. He points to God. And he, he shares his faith. For many of you guys, the biggest risk of faith you can take right now is sharing your faith with somebody. Is pointing to God and saying, this is that way, I'm this way. This happened because God made it happen. Because I'm a follower of Jesus. And Daniel does this. And he says... And he says, the king, no wise men can do this, but, in verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. And then now, and then he goes and he's about to tell the, and he's about to tell the dream. Before we get to the dream, I just want to give you guys three things. When we take risks of faith, if we want to do this in community of faith, we need, to see, we need to see these three things happen if we want to step out of faith. One is confidence. We have to trust that God is who he says he is. That's not confidence in us because we can't do anything. Daniel is, is asking here, when he asks for mercy and seeks mercy, he can only do that from a position of humility. A lot of us, when we go to God, we, we go from a, from a position of arrogance saying, I deserve this, God. I've done this and I deserve this. You need to give this to me. Daniel says, I don't deserve anything. God, we just need your mercy right now. And we need you to move. And he trusts that God will. So he has confidence in God. Number two, questions. We talked about asking last week and how asking is, is difficult. And 
And we just need to ask God, like I said, in humility and pose those questions. Number three is community. The community of faith is key for taking risks of faith. Taking risks of faith on your own is always going to be difficult, but the community should be here to, put, to, to propel us forward, to push us together, to unify us in order to take risks of faith. And then Daniel, in verse 31, he's going to give the interpretation. So this is, this is uh, the, the end of the narrative here. And, and he says to the king, this is what you saw. You saw a big image. It was a big statue, and it had a head of gold. And, and he says that, well, he doesn't say this yet, but he says that gold, that's you. That's your kingdom. And when he gives this interpretation, he actually takes another risk of faith because the interpretation is not favorable to King Nebuchadnezzar and to his kingdom. And he says, the chest had an arms were of silver, middle and, and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and feet, partly of iron and partly of clay. And then he says, there's this big stone that was cut out, not by human hands. It was hewn, it was hewn out and it fell on the feet and it crushed the feet. And then the image, the statue toppled and crushed onto the stone. And so everything was crushed. The winds came, they kind of blew stuff away, and basically the stone became the new kingdom. It, and it filled the earth, he says in verse, in verse uh, 35. He says, the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then he gives the interpretation of the dream, and he says, yeah, that's your kingdom and all these other kingdoms that will come after you. And the rock is the new kingdom, and it's going to destroy... All these are going to fall and destroy on it and, and be destroyed on it. And the king, it says in verse 46, fell upon his face, paid homage to Daniel, commanded them to offering an to be offered up to him. And basically he does what he said earlier, that whoever did this is going to give blessing and honor and praise to. And look at what else he does in verse 47. Now this isn't Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have like a conversion experience necessarily. He's not like, oh, I'm a follower of God now. But he recognizes three things. He says, truly your God is a God of gods. So he recognizes him as at least a God. Um, he says he's Lord of kings, his, his providence. And he's intimate. He's not what I thought he was. The enchanters, the sorcerers, they said, they said this guy, they said the gods don't do this, but he does reveal mysteries. And he's been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gives him high honors. Daniel is at, uh, Daniel remains at the king's court. His friends become uh, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And I mention that because it will be significant next week when we talk about things with his friends. And we have here an awakening happening in the nation. We have here the, the king, one of the most powerful kings in the world right now, if not the most powerful king in the world at that time, start to have an awakening to who the God of the universe is. And it's all from Daniel just being faithful and trusting God and pointing to God all along the way. And we have here this image of a stone in the latter days that is going to come and it's going to be
become this great mountain that fills the whole earth. And this whole passage is amazing because it's alluding to the coming of Jesus Christ. It's pointing us to Jesus the entire way. You even see that in the Babylonian depiction of who the gods are. They say, they don't make their dwelling among flesh, Nebuchadnezzar. But guess what Jesus does? He makes his dwelling among flesh. And he doesn't just do that. He steps out of heaven and he takes on flesh. And he becomes one of us. And, and here we have this view of God that's totally different from this Babylonian view. It's totally different from the view that our city has of who God is. And this has been happening all through scriptures. Check, take a look at Isaiah chapter 2 here. Uh, this is coming from verses 2, or is there verse 2 up there? There's 4. Let me turn to it. I'll, um, that's okay, I'll read it. So it says, it says here, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Remember, Daniel said he's giving a prophecy, this dream, this interpretation for the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. This is, this is a picture of the church. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then verses 4 and 5. He shall judge between nations... Peace will happen. Oh, come, Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And, and then Matthew 21, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew 21, 42, it says, Jesus saying to the people there, he says, Have you never read in the scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone, the chief stone? And he says, This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone, this is the image falling on the stone, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is a picture of a new king and the kingdom. This is a picture of the king of kings and the kingdom of God. And, and that the whole stone is filling the earth is a picture of the church as an agent of restoration for the kingdom and reconciliation. This past week, I, I had a dream Monday, I think it was Monday night. Um, yeah, it was Monday night. And this is weird. Like I, this doesn't happen to me very much, if at all. <laughs> um, so this is, if this is weird to you, it was weird to me too. Uh, so I had a dream, and I woke up and it was so real, it was so vivid, it was so clear. And actually I had coffee with Jamie that morning and, and we chatted about it. He was like, yeah, I think there's something there. And I was like, interpret it for me. <laughs> I'm like, go. He's like, I got nothing. I'm like, you suck. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, how dare you use it from that? No, uh, and, and so I was, I was just thinking about it all week. It kind of stuck with me. So this is the dream. And, and I talked, and then Missy and I talked to Daniel and Linda Thursday night. I hung out with them for a couple hours on FaceTime. And it came to me there. Like, God used Linda. And it was really cool. So, okay. This is the dream. Walk into a concert venue. And it's about this size. 
and lights are going, all that. I'm walking in, I walk in on stage here like this, and there's a there's a lead guitarist, there's a there's a drummer, and there's a lead singer. And I walk in, they're like, hey, you're finally here. Uh, we were wondering when you're gonna show up. Um, and they hand me the bass guitar. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I have zero musical capabilities. They hand me the bass guitar, and, but I, and in my dream I know that. I'm like, I can't play this thing. Um, they have the wrong guy. Uh, but, I don't tell them that. <laughs> I should play it cool, right? And I'm like, how hard can it be? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so we, um, uh, they hand me the guitar, and they can tell by the way I'm holding it, that I don't want to do it. So the, the lead singer, he's like, well, well like, put the strap around, around me. I'm like, oh, cool, because I'm like, I'm like this. <laughs> and then they're like, put it around, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be down here. And, and uh, so they're like, hey, get in. No, the, the drummer's like, hey, come over here. And he's like, the drummer's like, hey, uh, play middle C. And I'm like, now that's piano, if you guys, I don't think it's on a bass. I don't know, but I'll, that's all I know about music, middle C. You find middle C on a piano, and you start looking from there. Uh, so I'm like, okay, so I find like a third, a third thing, and the string, whatever, <laughs> chord, I don't know what it's called. Uh, and if I'm, if I'm going to be a bass, bass player, I'm not going to be like this, I'm going to be slapping, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm going like, to be like this. So I do that, I'm like, yeah, and they're like, that's okay, you know, that's pretty good. They're like, hey, go, go get set up. So I go get set up on this side, and I realize I'm in the wrong spot. I'm standing right in front of the drummer, I'm right behind like, the lead singer, or the, the guitarist, and I'm like, okay, I need to deal with it. So I go there, but my cord gets tangled and everything, so I'm like walking around like this. And they're just all staring at me like, what is this guy doing? And so I finally get there, and I'm like, hey guys, I'm good to go. And the curtain opens up, the show's about to start, and I wake up. And that's it. And it was so real, so good. Like I woke up and my heart was pounding, and I, and I was like, ah. Uh, and and here's the thing that God spoke to me through the dream: that our church, our church's history, we've been in church for four years, and for most of our history, we've had no idea what we're doing. We just do. We just go out. And we take risks of faith, and and God in 2018 wants us to be bold again. And we've been bold, we've done things, but I feel like 2018, we just need to take huge risks of faith. Think about what the bass guitar does. It gives a lot of the rhythm, right? God is saying he wants a new rhythm for our church this year. And I don't know where you are in your faith, I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus, but God wants a new rhythm for you in 2018. And as part of this community of faith, we want to help you establish that. We want to help move forward and take big risks and be bold and trust God when it looks like we're going to fail. And so we're doing that in a lot of different ways. We're doing that in St. Jamestown with, with the 225 space. We're doing that in the West Bank this year. We're doing that um, with our church planting training and planting churches. We're doing that in our body life groups. We're doing that all through every aspect of, of, of of our ministry here, we want to be bold. That is actually one of our core values, is boldness. And we want to take risks of faith together. When we do it together, then we'll, like God says, be strong and courageous. We have courage. We can actually step out in faith together. And 
this this dream was just was just a a reminder of that a reminder that God wants something new for us this year and that we just need to step out in faith I'm tired of us living like sleepy Christians we need awakening we need to move forward if you just want to rest and be a sleepy Christian this isn't gonna be the place for you in 2018 because we're gonna move forward and we'll drag you along for a little while if, 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 um, if we have to, but we need you to wake up. And we need churches that are doing this in our city. And we need to join arms in our city in order to see awakening happen in our city. First Peter finishes out, I'm gonna finish out with First Peter, it says this, uh, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, slander, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up in a salvation. We're still babies, guys. We need to grow up in a salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that He's good this morning? If you have, then there's a different life for you than what you're currently living. It says, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, this is the stone imagery, are being built up as a spiritual house to a holy priesthood offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and as they were destined to do. But you, the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you weren't a people, but now you're God's people. Once you didn't receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. And beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And that's their goal as a church, to point to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that... The scriptures show us the beauty of Jesus Christ, that He is the stone, and that we are in Him, and that we're part of this new kingdom, and that it fills the entire earth. And all we need to do as humble servants, as people who say, we know nothing, it's only because of you, Jesus. All we have to do is point to you. So change our lives. As we sang earlier, make us more like you, Jesus. And this year for Trinity Life Church, bring us an awakening that we can bring into our city. We ask that in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.